0: You're listening to The Business Marketing Show, episode number 19. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com or on iTunes.
1: Today we're talking to Adam Fitzgerald from The Frontier Group, Uh, software development company based in Perth, and Adam's company specializes in, well, he can probably explain it better, but it specializes, I think, in two things. One is custom app development and mobile app development. Welcome to the show, Adam.
2: Thanks very much, Brendan.
0: Hey, Adam. The- How I am?
2: Hey, hey, Ed. I'm very well, thank you. Good. Did Good I get evening. that intro right? Uh, yeah, that's pretty close. So, um, yeah, so yep.
0: tell us, tell us more. I mean, uh, we have known each other all together for about five years now, uh, but you guys have known each other for a lot longer. You actually grew up together in, in the town of Bunbury in Western Australia.
1: Australind, Ed. Oh, sorry. Australind. Uh-huh. Australind. Okay. It's a different town.
0: It's a different town. Okay. So there you yeah. go. See, this is why I know nothing. Uh, <laughs> but then we ended up getting, getting back together to, to run, uh, the Achieve More Online Workshops at the end of 2009, start of 2010. And here we all are together again. So, uh, so Adam, you've been pretty busy. You've you've uh, taken your company from uh, just you and your business partner to quite a, a big deal now, and it's got lots of staff and all sorts of things happening. So, um, give us a rundown on, on your main areas of, of focus of what you do. And the business name is The Frontier Group, so... Uh, people can find you at the frontier au. correct
2: that's correct yeah so we're um yeah software development company um specializing in uh, web applications mobile applications and data analytics which is probably our third stream of business at the moment so um yeah definitely sort of custom app development for businesses um, small business you know medium enterprise size businesses as well as startups um and then um yeah, sort of the analytics side is a bit more of uh, investigating sort of big data that you know your your big customers like uh, you know your, your national and international uh, corporations and sort of dealing with their data and presenting it to them. So um, yeah, that's kind of the areas we
1: specialize in. Awesome. So you're different to a, a different to a regular web design company, right? Completely different.
2: Yeah, so they'll generally focus on uh, sort of building websites and and uh, extending the functionality of websites. Uh, just to have you know a little bit, little bit of application functionality, but generally as a supplement. Um, and that's you know those are sort of really small, or generally small projects. Um, you know you can sort of knock out a lot of those in a year, and um, yeah, sort of just keep that sort of same work going. Whereas we're a bit more, I guess, custom. Uh, you know every customer has completely different needs. Everything we have to build from scratch, uh, just to sort of meet their requirements. And you know we have a bit of a, a flow on process as the project goes along. Um, and just sort of evolve their ideas and, and what they're looking for and um, to come up with a finished product. Awesome. Uh, a
0: lot has happened in the world of apps. I mean, there's always been applications technically that people have been using for, for many, many years on the internet. Uh, but people... Applications are software, we should yeah, say that. Yeah, applications yep. as software, true, true. Thank you, Brendan. Applications as software, as opposed to what most people probably think of when they hear the word app as something that's on their iPhone or on their Android. Um, so you do both. Now, uh, since the iPhone sort of took off and became very popular, um, you, you've done quite a lot of interesting apps for that application. Um, but what, what is it that you would say you do more of? Do you do more of uh, um, application software that's used on online, etc., or do you do more of apps for iPhones or Androids?
2: Um, it's it's been cyclical, but at the moment we're definitely doing more of just the software development, so the web side of things. Uh-huh. Um, uh, sort of last year we would have been the other way around and, and would have said maybe seventy five percent of our business was building mobile applications for both iPhone and Android. Um, the interesting part of that, I suppose, is uh, many sort of mobile applications will have some sort of uh, software in the background or running on a server, um, yeah. You know, which is that other work anyway. So a lot of apps just can't stand alone by themselves on a phone and, and run properly. They need to be pulling in data from somewhere and, and you know, providing a web front end for an administrator or, or a business or something like that. So generally, the two go hand in hand. Um, so when you sort of have, have the back end for a mobile app plus other projects that you're working on, you know, generally, the website of things is sort of taking a bit of a resurgence at the moment. Awesome.
1: Mm -hmm. So, there's a big difference between, I guess, a mobile website and mobile apps. So, do you guys do both or tell us a bit about that?
2: Yeah. So, um, there definitely is a difference. Um, A mobile website uh, can be a couple of things. Either a responsive version of your full desktop version of your website, which means as your screen size gets smaller, uh, the website can kind of sort of rework its layout for best fit for that screen size. Um, and that's that's a responsive website, and that means it can, you know, operate on a giant sort of LCD screen up on a wall somewhere, um, but also it can operate on a phone screen as well, which is much smaller. Um, it sort of cuts out information that's not necessary for somebody you know, who who'll be looking at that website on the go if they're using their phone. Um, and that's generally, you know, any sort of web design uh, company will be able to sort of in, integrate that and implement that for somebody. Um, and that's a, so that's a mobile website or a responsive website. Um, sometimes a, a mobile website can also just be built on its own. So rather than having you know several different sort of sizes of the website as your screen size changes, you just have a full desktop version and then a smaller uh, version, which may have different information, different functionality. Um, either way, they're both websites. So if you're on a phone, you go to you know Safari on your iPhone or Chrome on an Android device and just look at that website uh, by typing in the URL. You can also bookmark that to your home screen on on the phone okay. it appears like a mobile app, but it's it's still just a website that's sort of controlled, um, you know, you have to have the internet on to access it, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and that's automatically, so as soon as the, the visitor goes to the site, the device they're on automatically detects that there's a mobile version of that site and then displays that rather than showing the desktop size version, correct?
2: That's correct, yeah. yeah. So um, there's a few little things you can put in behind the scenes and just sort of control what device you're viewing it on and, and how it looks and that sort of thing. Yep. Very, yeah, and very the mobile cool. app then is, is a specific uh, piece of software that's built and then sort of released through the app store or so forth um, with a custom, you know, it's custom functionality that a business needs, um, you know, to perform certain
1: tasks that users will need to do. Awesome. Cool. So when you do apps, right? Because in my mind, there's two different types of people who do apps. There's someone who does, I guess, probably more. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys do more apps for business, but then there's also apps like games and things to make money online. It's, would that be how you see the market split up, or the types of people who get apps built? Yeah, absolutely. And there's uh, a lot of sort of the
2: startup area, um, you know, sort of uh, people who've been doing something else for a while, and then um, you know, I have an idea, or sort of can see other people um, you know, making money from from mobile apps and and, and online software and Um, sort of have an idea and and manage to raise some money and then sort of want to put that into practice. So there's definitely a a market for that as well. Um, And that's uh, generally sort of, you know, you'd be building that for everybody to use. So if you're building a game or something, you just you know want as many people as possible to be grabbing that. So it's not business focused. It's just any idea that somebody has that they think, you know, people will want to use and will somehow help them out or or something like that. And, And they're just looking for that to be converted into an app. Mm-hmm. very cool
0: so so adam what's the difference between a designer a developer and a programmer so and then that's yeah. that that gets used a lot those those terminologies don't they brendan and
1: yeah i mean i guess people throw them around as generic terms for anyone who do, does website stuff so we should probably clarify the yeah, difference right
0: because they are very very different areas so you, you tell us your your version of what they are designer developer and programmer
2: Absolutely. So a designer, um, we would consider a graphic designer or a web designer. Um, two slightly different roles, um, but you know, typically they are a lot more merged these days. Somebody who's uh, in basically creating a design, so the creative aspect of the visuals that somebody will see. So if it's a, a mobile app, uh, creating those screens that people see, uh, just designing flats—they um, don't—they don't function. They don't do anything. They're just images. Um, but it sort of lays out the flow of an application. Um, the same thing applies to websites and you know, designing uh, posters or marketing material. So that's—that's, that's, I guess, sort of the designer role. Um, then we have the developer and programmer, uh, which can be interchangeable. The difference we sort of uh, put from our perspective is a programmer is just somebody who writes software. So give them a task, tell them this is the task you need to write, and then that will create that code for you. A developer, we like to think, uh, uses their brain a little bit more in the process. So um, they'll think about the idea they've been presented, uh, you know, sort of use their knowledge and expertise to either sort of rework that idea or have a discussion about it, um, come up with how it needs to be solved, and then solve it as well. So um, we like to think that you know our company is made up of developers who kind of take on that extra role of relying on past knowledge to, sort of solve problems and, and get a bit more into the crux of solving the problem first rather than just, here's a task, I'll just go bang away at that.
0: Fantastic.
2: But es- Essentially, they're doing, you know, the end goal is the same. They're just creating the software code that makes the application run.
0: Cool. You're next, hmm. Brendan.
1: I'm next. <laughs> what, else, what else do I have on my notes here? Uh, well, okay, so say, you know, someone's, thinking about getting an app built, they have an existing business, I'd say it's probably, I don't know, you tell me, like there's, you know, I see uh, quite a few years ago, I had a lot of people come to me with great ideas for apps. We don't do apps, but, um, you know, kind of lay people, I guess you could call them, who have an idea for an app and want them built or someone who has a business and wants to get an app built, what would be the things they need to think about before they pick up the phone and call someone like you or send an email or, you know, surely there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be done first, right? There, There is and there definitely should be.
2: Um, I think you find you get a lot of those phone calls now because uh, sort of a- advertising of apps is a lot more popular. Um, you know, it's hit mainstream television. Um, a lot of the news, you can turn on the six o'clock news and you'll see an ad about, you know, for an article about somebody who's made a million dollars off an app that they just thought up and created on a Sunday afternoon. Um, That's not really what happens. And, you know, if it does happen, then that person is very, very lucky. Um, It's more a case of coming up with an idea uh, and then getting a few things underway, like your business plan, uh, your target audience, um, what the competition is like. uh, Is this something that, people would actually use um, other than your immediate family who, you know, you (laughs) may have just asked to find that answer out, Um, you know, a bit like going on Australian Idol, yes, you can sing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, good good example. Yeah, I'd recommend spending a a lot of time sort of uh, working out how this would function as a business for starters. Um, You can't just sort of knock up an app in a couple of hours and then, you know, become a millionaire when it's in the store. There's a lot of groundwork. Um, you know, there's some standard sort of things you can follow and help, but uh, you do need to spend a lot of time thinking about it. And that, that, that's really all we sort of look for is have you, you know, sort of planned out how a business might work? You know, do you have any business experience? Because obviously if an app uh, does start to make you money and take off, then all of a sudden you'll be running your own business. Um, and I think a lot of people might sort of not think about that side of it. So, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be prepared to do the hard thinking and the legwork and the documentation and all sorts of things um, you know and and it's nice if you can have thought about that you know before you've approached someone Um, once you've approached someone then you know you can really get into a discussion about the idea itself and and how to go about turning that into into a real application Mm
1: -hmm.
0: very very cool yeah it sounds I'm, i'm disillusioned now Adam, (laughs) that idea I had for the automatic app that sort of opened a cat flap door, um, that's just going to have to get flushed down the toilet now because I don't think there's anyone that really wants it. So, And I thought thought it's only going to cost me $500 to make and surely it's going to rake in millions of dollars. So you're telling me that's just not the case? Um,
2: Not usually, no. Not usually, okay. All right. I guess a lot of... uh... Because apps can cost money to buy, and usually, you know, the sort of figure of ninety-nine cents has been widely publicised—that that's yeah. what an app is worth. Uh, it can be misconstrued that that's what an app costs to develop, or something like that. So, uh, an application can actually have a lot of uh, costs involved, um, and they can you know, sort of the projects we work on you know, minimum minimum cost for a typical mobile application that does something useful. You know, sort of starts at fifty thousand dollars for us to do that. Development locally here in Perth, so yeah, you know we get get a few people that sort of are expecting, you know, a few hundred dollars and then <laughs> get a bit of a surprise. So
0: yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Everyone expects by the media. Yeah, that's true, and that yeah. they they expect they can get them done in India for the same quality and the same thing for five hundred or a thousand dollars. So you must come up across that quite a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah, so for that sort of thing, you know, the rates are a lot cheaper, but you do need to have some sort of management team in place to yeah. make sure the project actually gets done correctly. We sort of come across a lot of customers who've, you know, tried three times to build something doing it that route so they've already spent, you know, a smaller amount of money but three times over before they sort of get to us and then you know, we can sort of go through the pitfalls that they've already learnt and then you know, show them, how, you know, other ways to do things. So, it, it can be successful but even if you if you do it successfully that way, it's not, not as cheap as people think. No. You know, there's a lot of lot of factors that go into building an app, just because it fits on a small screen. And, you know, there's still a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And it's a bit like the, you know, the same thing I guess applies. And we've talked about this already. Ed, just the building a website, it's not just building the website. It's all the, the extra bits go around it, like the marketing. The, yeah, you know, even like for an app, you're building a piece of software, so you're going to have customer support. Like Adam just said, there's you know, back-end infrastructure that supports the app. It's not just the piece of software on the phone that might be tied to a server that has, you know, su- supports that app. So I guess there's ongoing costs as well around that about the support and servers and infrastructure as well, right, Adam?
2: Yeah, that can um, that can certainly vary, but there's there's things that are always in place such as uh, hosting, which is um, sort of what controls the server in the back-end so that it is actually there and available for the app to use. Um, that's obviously an ongoing cost. Um, that can vary, um, sort of we provide uh, virtual machine hosting for some of our customers, and that, and that can be up to sort of three hundred dollars a month. Um, they could be using something like Amazon or cloud based hosting, and that uh, varies based on the usage so if your app becomes popular, then it can become very expensive um, and if you don 't sort of have a, a money making plan attached to your app um, early on and it becomes popular, then you know, your costs can become prohibitive very quickly. Um, there's also sort of ongoing maintenance or, you know, future round rounds of work once an app goes into the App Store, for example. Um, you know, if, if someone's already got an iPhone, they'll probably see there's updates coming through for apps that they've downloaded. So that's all work that, you know, a developer has to do. Um, and that's all, you know, sort of time and materials or what have you. So, and then there's new features and and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, extra costs. It's not just a case of putting it out there and then, you know, just sitting back and and waiting for the cash
1: to roll in. Because I I thought I was going to become a millionaire. I was going to make an app and just. <laughs> I'd like the Kardashians. <laughs> <Yeah, they're
0: like, laughs> Two hundred <laughs> grand a
1: day or something.
0: Now, now, because we have an expert on this subject on the podcast, I just want to clear something up. Are there really big computers floating around up there in the sky, Adam? Because um, <laughs> I think a lot of people think they are. Are there really things up there in clouds floating around or is that just, you know, just the terminology that's used?
2: <laughs> I feel <laughs> like I want to say yes, but I'm going to have to say no. Yes, you're going to have to <laughs> say no.
0: That was a trick question. So uh, Yeah,
2: so the cloud's an interesting t- term, yeah. Um, what that refers to is just uh, anything that sort of outside of your field of vision, I guess. So there's no, uh, you know, if you're in your office and you've got cloud-based software or you're hosting your website, you know, in the cloud, that just means that it's on a a physical machine, on a physical server somewhere, but somewhere else outside of your network. So um, that it's kind of always existed, but the term has just become such an easy sort of marketing buzzword to drop in. So what it means is, you know, everything is you know, when they say everything's moving to the cloud, it means you're just pushing all of your services away from your local, you know, your laptop or your desktop or your internal you know, server at work um, and out to some other business's uh, data centre or something like that. And then it's their responsibility to maintain that and make sure that it's always available to you. So, you know, it's something you can hopefully sort of forget about and just, you know, it just magically exists, but it's the same infrastructure, it's the same uh, you know, the same computer uh, infrastructure just somewhere else and somebody else's responsibility to manage it for you.
0: Very good description. Thank you very much for clearing that up for me. <laughs> now I, I picture a completely different thing, So, and, and tr- I'm sure others do. It, I- it is interesting, though, because anytime time people ask me about the cloud, I say, well, it's actually always been around since we've been using the internet. Uh, but it's just, yeah, as you say, a marketing terminology or an easy thing to sort of, used to describe it so very cool now one of the questions we've got here is uh is an ipad app different to an iphone or an android app and do they have to be developed separately or can they be done in conjunction with each other or because you know back in the day mainly it was the iphone that was the you know in terms of applications for, for smartphones that was the one that everyone was developing uh, and then the iPad came out and then the Android platforms came out. so there's there's three technically different things that maybe have to be made up. So is that is that correct? And iP- an iPad and an iPhone app is technically slightly different and uh, compared to an Android app as well?
2: Yeah they, that's right. So an iPhone and an iPad I'll start there. Um, you can have the same app running on both devices. Um, so if you've got an iPad it will look and feel like the iPhone version just a bit bigger. Um, that's that's the same app. That can be the same app. Um, You can build a different app for an iPad and an iPhone because they have different uh, screen layouts and you can take advantage of sort of a larger screen um, on your iPad. So you can build two completely different apps for the same thing if you want to. Um, You can actually put special code into one app though and sort of take advantage of those features on an iPad and an iPhone. So it's probably easier to think that it is the same app, um, it just has a bit of a different look and feel um, if you need it on an iPhone versus an iPad. So that's kind of the same thing. Great. Yep. Um, yeah. An Android is another, uh, another phone by somebody else. So d- different software, um, you have to create a separate app on an Android platform. So um, if you're building uh, what's called native software, which means you are specifically coding uh, in the programming language for that device. Um, you can build a native iPhone app and a native Android app. That means it's generally a little bit easier to take advantage of sort of the things that that phone gives you. So GPS, camera, um, you know, all the features of the phone, um, accessing that reliably is a a bit nicer if you're sort of programming in a native way. What that can mean is, you know, essentially you might have to build the same product twice. So once for an iOS or an iPhone and iPad and once for Android as well there are ways that you can circumvent that by building what's called cross platform, um, which means you can build one application and then there's some tools that enable you to deploy it out to both an iPhone and Android Mm -hmm. Um, that, that can have its own pitfalls as well. So generally you'll still need to do a little bit of customization for each one. um, But also those tools are very, uh, very new uh, and there's new tools popping up all the time. So if they don't get well-established or well-supported, you know, you can end up putting an app out there and then finding it's full of um, software bugs and things like that, and potentially you no know, real way to fix those issues. you sort of at the you know, the behest of somebody else who's creating that software for you. Yeah. So, you know, in our experience, we've done both um, over the last few years, and, you know, it's a case of choosing the right thing at the right time. So, depending on the, the budget, uh, the needs of the customer, um, you know, and what they're happy with, you know, we sort of which would go through the, the downsides, um, the pros and cons of, of both, um, and usually it's you know, it costs twice as much if you're building a native app on iPhone and Android, um, but you know you get two better products in our opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. So, yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, and that is an issue that well has become more prevalent as time goes by, it wasn't such an issue back in the early days of web development is cross-platform compatibility. So, and and that's what we find is, you know, you're developing a site for a client and it has to look good on all of these different devices. Um, And that can be tricky. So how do you guys deal with that in terms of, do you have certain procedures you follow when a client comes to you to say, okay, where is this going to be seen? Who's going to be using it? Uh, And what devices are going to be the main um, user interface? So is there a strategy you have with that?
2: Yeah, so we have sort of a general set of rules, I guess, that we adhere to for starters. So, um, for example, with iPhone, um, we support the two most recent versions of iOS. So, um, for example, there's a a massive difference between iOS 6 and iOS 7. Um, Now iOS 8 is just released. So we roll over and say now, you know, we support iOS 7 and iOS 8. And if a customer needs uh, support older than that, then, you know, that's extra work because you have to basically write in different code and different yep. functions to, to make things appear the same way um, so there's that uh, Android can have you know anybody can create an Android device so you can create your own screen size your own specs of the phone um, everything like that yep. and that can cause a lot of problems you basically you know there's an unlimited number of devices you're potentially developing for there um, and on the web as well you know you've got different brands web browser and so forth so we just we go with the recent standards, and then if a customer has specific requirements, you know, we'll ask them. Do you, you know, if you're in government or something like that, you might have a different forced requirement that you have to deal with, and we have to cater for that. So we just pick the pick the standards that are most recent, and then on an individual case by case basis, you know, work backwards. But it's all extra work, and that's the issue. Is you know you can spend twice as much on a project just to support you know an older version of something sometimes.
0: Yeah, cool. That's
1: interesting. That's a good strategy. I haven't thought about that because we have, when we build websites, we have, you know, like you said, Ed, the same issue, particularly around Internet Explorer and old versions of Internet Explorer. So that's a good strategy just to say that we don't support these because um, typically on the websites we build, we have, if it's an old browser, it'll come up with a message saying you have an old browser, but I haven't thought about it from, a, I guess, a company policy perspective and mm. as part of the, the scoping setup. So that's, that's a yeah. good idea.
0: Very good. Thanks yeah. for that. No problems. What's
1: next, Brendan? What else? Well, let's talk about, like, okay, so that we've talked a lot about um, mobile apps. What about, so, custom software um, that's, you know, separate to a mobile app that, you know, might run in a web browser or something like that? So now, I guess today there are cloud apps that cost very little and they replace, you know, banks of servers. I know when I had my IT company, we had a whole server rack in the office and then we had half a server rack in the data center. So now, even in my business now, we have no servers and have replaced all, all our infrastructure as cloud. So there are, you know, obviously the situations where a company does need custom software. At what point should someone think about, you know, what's the, what's the tipping point, I guess, between looking at using cloud apps versus building something custom?
2: Yeah, so I guess... The obvious consideration is budget that you have for a tool uh, or a piece of software. So it's very easy to sort of pay the monthly you know, software as a service fee. Um, it might be $49 or $99 a month or something to get you know a full-blown software system that you can actually use uh, immediately. Um, and that's great unless it doesn't sort of fit your needs and you have to change your business process to sort of work around it. And that's not acceptable. So. That's one of the, the ways that people will sort of approach us for custom development. Um, there's just nothing out there that does exactly what they want, or they have such a you know a niche business or a niche component to their business that you know there is no generic package that solves those problems. Obviously, you know the existing software systems that are sold uh, many times over, they're built in a generic way that solves the problem for ninety percent of users, uh, but there's still that other ten percent of businesses who. Have specific requirements that just can't be met in that way. So, we'll, you know, people will approach us to either solve problems that other software can't solve, um, or replacing existing systems that you know were built ten years ago, or just converting paper-based systems into an online software system that's just unique to people's businesses because you know every business can be different, and as they sort of uh, you know, as businesses grow, they create their own procedures and policies and, and have a. An established business in place, and that can only be replicated by custom software development.
1: Yeah, hmm. it's a fair point because I have, I have for our business, I have Infusionsoft, which is, I think, I actually have two copies of Infusionsoft for two different businesses I'm involved in, and it's nearly a thousand bucks a month. And now we've had the had it for just over twelve months, and it's only now that we're at the point where both businesses were kind of getting the processes up to scratch and, you know, into Infusionsoft. Um, so it's not just about you know it's not just about the software the workflow and processes is a big part of it and for us we really underestimated the time and the amount of extra work it's not just the raw dollar cost for that cloud stuff but all the other extra manpower that goes into making the software work and that sort of stuff so um, yeah interesting
2: and cloud-based software can make it easy for you to trial as well i guess so that's a good you know, that's good for some people, is they can just sort of sign up and have a go at something immediately to see if it suits their needs. Um, you know, which means if people are coming to us looking for custom development, they may have already tried other systems, and you know we can sort of work with them to decide. You know, actually, you, know, you can integrate other things, or we can build. Extensions and additions to existing software systems as well. So it's not always a case of well, you, there's nothing out there for you. You have to sort of shell out a whole pile of money and, and build something over a six-month period. It might be, yeah, take this this system. They you know, have a, a developer integration that we can attack uh, onto and just build you know the extra bits and pieces that they need as well.
1: Cool. And it's probably important. Just talking about budgets, like we've talked about some big numbers, like you know it might be 50 grand or 100 grand to build custom software. But if you think about it, if that piece of software can replace one or two staff, then you know, looking at the cost looking at the raw numbers of the cost is kind of um, you know it's a bit deceiving when you, you know, do the real maths and you're like, Well, we can build this software and we don't we can, you know, eliminate two staff members or re I will, you yeah, know not necessarily <laughs> eliminate them. <fair> <laughs> that was harsh. Put them Brendan. somewhere
0: else. <laughs> <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> All of Adam's staff <laughs> are hearing that in the background, going, "What? What? Who's being eliminated?"
1: <laughs> Put them somewhere redistributed? else. Redistributed. That redistributed. <laughs> That's the word. That's the way. Yes. Put somewhere else and redistributed to another area of the business where they can kind of generate more benefit. You know, then those numbers make sense because I know when we, you know, because we're not we're a small business, so a thousand bucks a month on software on paper looks like a lot of money, but then I look at that and I'm like, well, you know, what's the alternative? We have a full time sales guy doing that job which you know what's a you know person cost in Australia like that sort of base salary could be between 60 and 100 grand a year plus then you've got to manage them and have a desk and computers and all the other bits and pieces to support that person so you know custom software while it on the the price tag looks expensive might not necessarily be that expensive if you do the real numbers on it
2: yeah and software can be really good at highlighting inefficiencies in people's businesses as well so you know for example um people sort of processing manual time cards and things like that, you know, that's that process has been around since forever um, and many businesses still do that older style of sort of timekeeping. Um, converting that to a software system can, you know, convert a, a team of staff who are purely just there to count numbers and, and type things into a computer, you know, that can... They can be used for something else something much better for the business rather than just you know that sort of data entry there's obviously a lot of other things that need to be done so you know we find that yes it might be an initial outlay but you've built a system for somebody that's you know freed up you know, five staff members or something who no longer just have to sit there and do that sort of mundane task over and over again
1: hmm. cool so
0: you've worked on quite a lot of different apps over the years uh, in both you know application software and uh, mobile apps. What What's your standout one that you think was probably your your best achievement in terms of you know what you produced and how it's going?
2: Um, everything.
0: Everything. That's that's the right answer. That was very politically correct, Adam, because that way you won't offend any of your other customers, saying that theirs wasn't as good as the one you just talked about. So that was that was a good answer.
2: Um, I'll give you a real answer as well. Okay. Cool. Um,
0: <laughs> There's got to be one like of, that you like, more
2: than any. Absolutely, and that would be Pet Rescue, um, which is petrescue.com.au. That's uh, yeah, awesome. been around for 10 years. Um, we did the most recent rebuild of that uh, about three years ago now, um, and we've been working with them ever since um, just to you know sort of continually make tweaks to that system. Um, that's a, a site for um, pets to be adopted from, basically connecting People with sort of adoption groups, um, so they're you know a not-for-profit that's just helping connect all of those sort of uh, you know one or two-person operations um, you know, all around Australia who have you know, pets that need rehoming um, yeah. to people who want them, and, and they've rehomed. Uh, well, now they're sort of rehoming about five five and a half thousand pets a month. So that system is you know, obviously pretty important that, it, that it's up and running and working well. So. You know they're doing a great job, and and they're starting to get some recognition for that. But that's probably you know one of our flash products that we're involved in.
0: Yeah, awesome. I had a chat with the guys from Pet Rescue at a networking thing I was at a little while ago, and they were raving about you guys and saying how how good it is working with you. So um, you've got a link to this Pet Rescue site um, on your website as well. So, but PetRescue dot com go and check it out. Very good association. So that's cool. That is a good one. Well picked. I like that one too because there's doggies in it, and we're yeah, all doggy lovers. Is. Funny enough, we're all Librans. Yeah. We're all Librans, and we all like dogs. What's that say?
1: Nothing. I know,
0: I know you're, you're, you're <laughs> nothing <laughs> at all. Can we analyze, analyze the uh, the data in that and then see what we come up with?
1: Now that's oh, a, good, yeah. a good a
0: good segue into data before we we finish up. Um, this is one of the new components of your business that you've only been doing what now for the last 12 months or so, is that correct? So, da- data analytics. Tell us more about that, yeah. that's very cool, and there's some exciting stuff happening there.
2: Yeah, so a lot of our, our sort of larger enterprise customers, um, obviously, you know, they're getting a lot of data into into and out of various systems that they use. So, you know, there's just a lot of stuff happening in those businesses that can be analysed, and typically, uh, you know, there's been teams of people who just have to work through those numbers and make spreadsheets and create graphs and all sorts of things. You know, and that's a very long, labouring, uh, intensive process. Yeah. Um, but they need they need that information, and they need it closer to real time than you know they can currently do those sorts of things. So, we sort of look at uh, real time analytics and implementing systems that enable, you know, people to just be looking at those numbers and making actual decisions about the business rather than entering data into a spreadsheet, which is, you know, everyone suddenly just becomes a data entry person, even though they're hired to do something, you know, more than that. So, we're sort of implementing systems that bolt on or integrate with existing systems out in sort of customer uh, sites, and then... They can be looking at that data coming through um, in real time. And we sort of use uh, existing products. So one product we use is Tipco Spotfire, it's called. So it's a real-time analytics package. Uh, But then we'll take that and build custom uh, integrations to that specifically for a customer's needs. So they'll say to us, we've already got this uh, Spotfire product in place. Um, We need something that shows us this or this is our problem. Is there a way, or some sort of graph, or, or something you can create for us that you know solves that problem for us, and we'll you know, go away and, and spend a couple of weeks and build something that just plugs straight into their existing systems, um, and then you know they can just sit in front of that and, and look at how the business is going, and that can be you know, when you're sort of dealing with businesses that you know the, the top tier businesses in Australia, I guess, you know, a lot of them are in the mining space and that sort of thing, so you know they've just got billions and billions of numbers. Data and all sorts of things just flowing through every day through all their systems that they just need to know, um, and now they can sort of look at that in real time and, and make decisions. And that's you know that's becoming a big area of software development as well. Um, just you know little plugins and integrations into existing packages that just you know, tweak that last one percent that the business needs to you know squeeze out the last sort of you know profit for their, their shareholders and that sort of thing. Yeah,
0: because that's certainly something you really unless. Yeah, I can't imagine sitting there doing that sort of stuff manually, but, I mean, up until, you know, recent times there have, have been people doing that and using Excel spreadsheets or, or some other type of, you know, uh, software to do it, but, so Spotfire, it's called, cool. that's the, one of the tools you use, is that correct?
2: Yeah, so that's a tool that we can sort of install on a site or, you know, some sites um, already using tools like that or other, other sort of competitors to that. Um, and they're all customizable um, you know, and sort of can be worked with long term um, you know, to just get the most out of them. Like anything, it's, it's an off-the-shelf product that doesn't do everything right out of the box. You've got to sort of you know, make it work for you, um, but you know, it's a, just another way that businesses are sort of keeping ahead of other, you know, their competitors, I suppose, it's just, and that's how software you know, can really help out.
0: Cool. So, Mr. Brendan, what else do we have to ask Adam at this stage? That's it, I think. I think we're at the end of we
2: our list of questions.
0: We are. Um, we could start talking about Nissan GT-Rs, Adam, but you know, that's, another, that's another podcast, don't you think?
2: I think so, unless you've got one already.
0: <laughs> well, I'm working on that one. I keep seeing them, though. My, retic- nice. my reticular activating system is like radar anytime time I drive around <sharp> Perth, and they just keep leaping out at me, and I'm going, oh, he's got my car. He's got my car. Or sometimes it's a she, that's a sexist statement, but typically it's males that drive those things. Um, so other than that, that's fantastic, and uh, we'll let you get back to work and go and look after more customers.
1: That's very considerate of you, Ed. Thank you very much. Or we can just keep talking. In
0: touch. We can keep
1: talking if you like. <laughs> if someone wants to get in touch, Adam, what's the best way to catch you?
2: Yeah, we've got um, sort of a contact form on the website. If someone's got a project idea in mind, I'm at Uh, thefrontiergroup.com.au. Our phone number's also there on the website. You can call up and speak to sales.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. We will put all that stuff in the show notes for people to see as well. So thank you very much for your time, Adam. Uh, This is actually a milestone for businessmarketingshow.com because this is the first three-way we've ever done. (laughs) You, you, you guys, you guys can take that any way you like. <laughs> now, now, why are you laughing, Brendan? He's got a he's got a filthy mind, Brendan. So, on on that note, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Brendan. And we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs> Bye for now. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Business Marketing Show. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com or on iTunes.